1: Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're looking at a subject that again cuts across all demographic criteria. We're speaking about something that yes it's a major concern in Indian country but it is a concern worldwide. We're speaking about one of the world's most feared epidemics. It is dementia. Losing our mental faculties. To help us in this dialogue is an expert in the field he's an author he's a physician his name is Dr Richard Furman Dick it's great to have you with us today
2: Well it's good to be with you and I'm looking forward to it
1: Now Dick you are not somebody who just read a bunch of books on the importance of dementia and uh, vascular health if you will we'll be talking about how blood vessels are at the heart of this topic tell us a little bit about your background
2: Well I I did Uh, mainly surgery and vascular surgery and thoracic surgery, lung uh, pacemakers, uh, lung cancer, but a lot of carotid is where we clean out the the artery that goes to the brain. And that's uh, that's what we'll be talking about here soon is is the importance of that blood flow uh, to the brain and how it does affect whether you get Alzheimer's or not.
1: This is such an important topic. So many people feel like they are just powerless when it comes to dementia. It just seems to creep up on people. And when it runs in the family, or even if it doesn't, people are concerned about losing their mental faculties. Now, as a surgeon, we often don't think of surgeons as writing books about preventive medicine. We think of them fixing things, like you mentioned, cleaning out arteries, doing lung surgery in your case. But you are also the author of a book on this topic. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Well, the book is Defeating Dementia, and it takes it through 15 years of watching a lady that I call Mrs. Dell uh, in the book, who is actually my my Mm mother-in-law, but I watched watched her go through Alzheimer's for 15 years, and I just kept wondering what is going on in her brain, uh, within the brain, medically speaking, what's Mm -hmm. going on? And I always thought it was just linked to genes, and uh, then I began to realize that there's more to it than that. And I just uh, started reading about it, started studying it outside of my field uh, of surgery, but uh, began to see that there are things that can be done to defeat dementia, to beat, uh, to beat that disease. And so that's why I decided I'm going to write the book, because there's, and this is something everybody ought to know about.
1: No, I mean, this is really an exciting message, and I'll tell you several things that I appreciated about the book. I mean, it's not a really long book, but it's very well referenced. It's easy to read, very practical, and uh, just came out in March of 2018. So I think you've got a cutting-edge resource, and I think it's going to be very exciting to people. I'm sure you've been getting a lot of good feedback already.
2: Yes, yes, we have. Uh, actually, the publisher called uh sent me an email the other day that I was number uh, twenty seven out of the top fifty in uh, in the survey, so that was that was good to hear but let me just tell you uh, as a surgeon, I read one article that gave me hope and that's that was an article in the journal of american Medical Association and this is when I was just watching my my mother in law go through all these all these different stages of alzheimer's, and that article pointed out that there was a study of 1,800 people over a 14-year period. And at the end of that time, they found that exercise and their eating habits made a significant difference as to whether they uh, developed Alzheimer's or not. And those numbers, which I'll give to you, which will really uh, rock your soul like they did mine, is that the ones who ate properly, which we can get into, versus the ones that didn't eat properly, Uh, were 40% less likely to get Alzheimer's. Mm. And then they they divided them into groups. There was another group they found that exercised, and then to a group that didn't exercise, the ones who exercised were 46% less likely to get Alzheimer's. And then the two groups together, the ones that exercised and ate properly, were 67% less likely to get Alzheimer's. Well, I tell you, David, that, that sort of blew my mind as a surgeon. I really couldn't conceive that there were that, that things like that that you could do to prevent it. So I started... know what I'm reading about, because it it really was astounding to me that that this had not been out there. These are just recent studies, and I just wanted to encourage everyone else what they can be doing.
1: Now, this is a tremendous message, and before we dive into all these practical things, I know there's a lot of folks out there that are scratching their heads, because they hear talk about dementia, they hear Alzheimer's, and some lay folks, maybe even some health professionals in different disciplines, they may not even know what the criteria are for saying someone has dementia and how Alzheimer's uh, fits into this whole discussion. Can you kind of help us with some general definitions?
2: Sure. Dementia, and I've, now that you bring that up, I had, I had someone tell me not too long ago that, that their father had dementia, had died of dementia, but their mother had died of Alzheimer's. Well, okay. I didn't go into all the details with them, but dementia uh, is a is a, a problem of where you forget things. Uh, your judgment starts to fail. It's a generalized uh, category. Alzheimer's is one form of dementia, so Alzheimer's is a dementia. Mm-hmm. But you have Alzheimer's, vascular. Uh, Lewy bodies, the different kinds of dementia, but Alzheimer's is the most common cause, and so that's why we we discuss it mostly.
1: So, if we were to say Alzheimer's is number one, would vascular dementia then be number two?
2: Vascular is number two, but here's the thing: uh, as we review the medical literature, you see that those two are going hand in hand mm. more and more. They they they're calling it mixed dementia, the vascular. Uh, being number two, Alzheimer's being number one, but uh, the majority of those are mixed, and now there are even some studies that linking Alzheimer's with your vascular uh, health, and that's what we'll see as we get into all of these lifestyle changes you can be making. That that you realize how important the blood flow to your brain is, and if we if we stop the interview right here. That's what I, the point I'd want to get across to everybody listening is how important the health of your arteries is to Alzheimer's and to the blood flow to your brain. Because that's what it, uh, We read article after article in the medical literature and they state what's good for the heart is good for the brain. And so that's, uh, that's a real emphasis.
1: Well, and I know this is not something you're just uh, speaking about on the spur of the moment on this interview because I took note of a statement in your book. You wrote, memorize this statement, a healthy brain depends on the health of the heart and the arteries of the heart and the brain. So very consistent messaging.
2: Right. Well, that's, that, that's, because I was a vascular surgeon, that started making more and more sense. And as we, Get into these lifestyles, get into these things that we can be doing, you'll see the importance of the arteries uh, to Alzheimer's because they all, every lifestyle that we talk about, links to the health of your arteries.
1: Well, let's talk about the carotid arteries first of all. So, those are those big arteries coursing through the neck. We've got two of them. You, uh, as a surgeon, have cleaned out many a carotid artery. Tell us what happens to someone who has severe blockage in those arteries, maybe uh, some plaque, some buildup of fatty material that is not stable. What kind of scenarios uh, do we see?
2: Well, the, you have four arteries going to the brain, the, the two carotids that everybody can feel on each side of their windpipe, on each side of the trachea and the neck. Those are the carotids, the little uh, uh, Two arteries that are in in the back of the neck, the vertebral arteries, are very small, it's sort of like the little, you know, the little straw where you where you uh, stir your coffee with. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're a little bigger than that, but not much bigger. So the main blood supply is, is to your carotid, and we can get into in a little more detail about the blood flow uh, through the carotid. But as plaque builds up, and the plaque builds up because of, of your lethal LDL cholesterol that gets into the into the wall of, that artery, of those arteries, as that plaque builds up there's, there's less and less flow uh, through it into the brain and you can actually feel your carotid and if there's, sometimes if there's enough blockage you can actually feel what we call a thrill. You can feel the vibration of that artery. Every time the heart beats that blood's trying to push through there and uh, you know, I used to take, I used to take these, uh, this plaque out in surgery, and someone who's had a stroke, I go in. It's a small incision in the neck. You go in, clamp each side of, of the artery, make an incision, uh, have a little metal spoon that you pull that plaque out with. You can hold it in your hand, and that is is uh, is the buildup of those that lethal LDL or cholesterol building up in the arteries. So that's extremely important. And we, we, I'll tell you about some studies later on about how they've studied the blockage in the carotid arteries versus how much Alzheimer's you're going to get. So mm. it's, it's extremely important.
1: Well, let's talk about that topic while we're, we're mentioning it. I have patients occasionally, they'll come in, they'll say, Dr. DeRose, there's this uh, screening event coming up, and they're going to do ultrasounds of the neck and the abdomen and the heart. Uh, what do you think about this? One of the things they're looking at is the carotid arteries. What would that tell them as far as their risk of dementia, for example?
2: Okay, that's a that's that's a good a good study there uh, to see if you have plaque building up already building up in your arteries. And I'll just I'll just throw this out that. Uh, anyone over the age 50, that 85% of them have significant plaque building up in their arteries, whether it's the carotid or the uh, coronary or, or heart, heart arteries or arteries to legs or whatever. But that's that's without any symptoms. The mm-hmm. same thing is happening in the brain. We have uh, studies to, to look at the beta amyloid in the brain. You can see the same the same thing is happening in the brain without any symptoms. That uh, beta amyloid protein is building up in the hippocampus of the of the brain twenty to thirty years before there are any symptoms. So it's it's important to know about the blockage of the arteries. The carotid artery is a is a good artery uh, to study. Mm-hmm. But there's a there's a great article from the University of Edinburgh that takes the uh, brain studies of an MRI as well as the mental testing for Alzheimer's and they followed patients for eight years. This is one of the most, what you're saying, what we're talking about, this is one of the most significant studies that I've seen. What they did is they they took the the percentage of blockage of of coronary arteries, uh, the blockage of the arteries to the legs, the blockage in the carotid arteries, and they compared that with how much, Alzheimer protein, how much diagnosis of Alzheimer's were they getting on the brain over those eight years. Mm -hmm. They also linked it in with the mental testing that you do with Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And what they found was the more blockage in any of those three arteries, the heart artery, the, uh, the arteries to the legs, or the carotid artery, the more of the blockage, the more of that Beta amyloid, the more of the diagnosis of Alzheimer's was happening, and the wow. more blockage they had, the worse they did on their testing. So, wow. that's, to me, that's the black and white. Hey, you ought to be convinced by now how important your arteries and the, the blockage, uh, preventing the blockage is what we want to
1: do. Now, this is powerful stuff. We have got to step away, uh, Dick, but we're going to come back. We've made a powerful case I think uh, Dr. Furman has for keeping our arteries clean. He's going to tell you how to do it. Things that can make a difference in cleaning out those arteries, decreasing your risk of dementia. We'll be back with more. I'm Dr. DeRose. Stay tuned. Today's
0: broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775- Four six, seven, three. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out.
3: For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at WRInstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Emergency
0: medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim.
3: When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke, know the signs, act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke.
4: If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized.
0: You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673.
1: Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back with Dr. David DeRose and with Dr. Richard Furman. Dr. Furman spent more than 30 years as a vascular surgeon. He's also an author, and the book we're especially focusing on today is his new book, Defeating Dementia. Dr. Furman, if folks want to benefit from uh, this book or from uh, a previous book, you've got a website. Tell us about that. Well,
2: it's called Richard Furman richardferman.com and it does cover defeating dementia, what we're talking about now. Plus, uh, uh, Prescription for Life is a book that I wrote that points out how important lifestyles are. And I, I did not write it as a weight loss book, but I've had uh, numerous calls about how much, uh, how much people have lost, have lost weight. Uh, anywhere from thirty to ninety pounds, and anyway, that's it. It all goes together.
1: No, that's definitely true.
2: Yeah, both both, both books are they're on that website, RichardFurman dot com, and I would encourage you to to go to it if you want to learn more specifics about what we're talking about.
1: That's great. And so the last name Furman, I've heard that spelled different ways. For you, give us uh, the correct spelling.
2: Yes, it's F U R M A N.
1: Okay, so just like fur of an animal, man, fur man, richardfurman.com, and that'll take me to that site for uh, Prescription for Life, your first book, and Defeating Dementia. Right. Great. Well, I think you made a great case in our first segment, Uh, and for those who are just joining us, Dr. Furman really shared with us from the medical literature as well as from his own experience some of uh, this powerful connection between blockage in blood vessels and our risk of dementia, whether we're speaking about pure Alzheimer's disease or other forms of dementia. And the bottom line is we want our blood vessels as clean as possible. You shared with us a sobering statistic that after our 50th birthday, better than 85% of us have blockages in our blood vessels. Uh, I've seen research suggesting that people can turn back the clock, that uh, you can actually have some regression or reversal of blockages. What do you think about that information?
2: Well, that, that has been shown. That uh, I've seen arteriograms that have shown where those uh, coronary arteries, arteries in the heart, uh, have actually decreased their their plaque size, and but that's... I would say that's uh, that's not a real high percentage. Usually, the person that has those blockages, they just keep on uh, with with what they're doing. But the brain is different. Mm-hmm. Once those cells die with Alzheimer's, they're not going to be resurrected. So, prevention, and the younger the better. But prevention is the big is the big uh, sign in this uh, in Alzheimer's that you just got to remember that beta amyloid will kill that cell, it will be buried, it will never come back, and you can slow the process by changing lifestyle, but prevention is the big part.
1: Now, the health professionals who are tuning in today, they know this connection with beta amyloid and Alzheimer's dementia, but for others, they've heard us mention that term several times. Can you tell us what this so-called beta amyloid is and why we're concerned about it?
2: Yes, it, uh, it really began back in 1906 when Lois Alzheimer's followed a lady that has what we now call uh, Alzheimer's, followed her along, watched her go through all these stages that I, that I wrote about my mother-in-law going through, and then he, when he, he did an autopsy on her, and he found two proteins that were mainly in the hippocampus of, of the brain, which has uh, the main part of the brain that has to do... With memory and that's what he found he found beta amyloid and tall tangles of protein within the brain and that's what we're we're looking at still today you used to have to have an autopsy like he did back in 1906 to diagnose it but that's the exciting part of it is now they have brain studies called the PET scan and the MRIs that you can diagnose what's going on in the brain you can follow it, see if it's getting worse or getting, uh, if it we're getting better, but see, uh, see what lifestyles affect it. So that's the exciting part of it, David, is that now we, we know so much more in just the past recent years about how to follow it and what we can do uh, to prevent it.
1: Now, you've been making a case for prevention, for really, we would say in preventive medicine circles, primary prevention, that is, causing the disease never even to show its head I find so many people in my practice as an internal medicine specialist, it almost seems their attitude is, well, yeah, I know this isn't the best, but if I end up with a problem, I'll get serious. If I end up with diabetes, yeah, I'll get more serious about my eating. If I end up with high blood pressure, um, this is really not the message, is it? We need to be proactive when it comes to dementia, right?
2: Exactly. You're not going to get another chance, and I'm usually, before you do a lifestyle change, something bad happens to you, you have a heart attack or the doctor tells you, okay, you now have diabetes, I'm going to start you on medication or I'm going to advance you to insulin, usually something like that happens before you make the commitment to do something. And I'm just hoping that this book, Defeating Dementia, is is that moment in your life that you'll read it and you'll see what happened to Mrs. Dell, who her three stages of Alzheimer's, see what happened to her, and make that commitment that, hey, I'm not going to let this happen to me. And now it's, today is the day, not waiting till you start having symptoms.
1: Well, you know, I'll mention one other thing, one thing that struck me about as you were recounting Mrs. Dell's story. It seemed like as you spoke with her about lifestyle change, it largely, at the point in time where she had some dementia, it was just falling on deaf ears.
2: Yes, well, actually, in reality, uh, we didn't know that exercise was so important. We didn't know what you ate was so important. Well, uh, we didn't we didn't know all of these things about uh, that what you could be doing. Mrs. Dell, her favorite food was the Snicker ice cream bars. That her husband just loved her and thought, well, he'd bring her he would bring her boxes of these frozen Snicker ice cream bars favorite place to eat was uh, a barbecue place. She didn't know about what she shouldn't be eating. She had no idea that mm-hmm. if you take the, as far as exercise goes, you take the top 10% versus the bottom 10% in a, in a group, that the ones who did not exercise were twice as likely to get dementia than the ones who did exercise. The ones who, now this, this is really significant the ones who uh, ate properly and I don't know if we have time to get into the saturated fat but that's the that's the red meat, the cheese, the butter, the cream, the fried foods, that's all of that the ones who ate that were 2.2 times as likely and that uh, that report was from an article about stroke and I thought well that's really significant that they would get it down to not to just say you're, you're twice as likely to get Alzheimer's, you're 2.2 times as likely to get it if you eat the most saturated fat versus the ones that eat the least. So she didn't know all of that, but uh, hopefully after reading the, the eating mention, we'll all know what to eat and what not to eat.
1: You know, this is so fascinating. You know, we're speaking to people throughout Indian country and, of course, beyond on this show. Uh, It was not long ago I was giving a lecture and actually was uh, speaking about Native American dietary practices. And what we know historically is before European contact, Native Americans did not fry their food. They weren't big eaters of fat. And a lot of the early uh, Europeans who met First Nation peoples here, they talked about the, the health, the noble bearing of uh, Native Americans. And it's very interesting as you're speaking about this, when we talk about saturated fat, like you mentioned, the, uh, you know, it's so abundant in red meat and cheese in these high fat foods, these animal products. Uh, it is really part of the problem in a big way, isn't it?
2: Oh, it's, it's a huge problem. That's the way we eat in America. That's the way I used That's the way I used to eat. But that's, uh, that's not the way that we ought to be eating. There's just, those foods that I just mentioned, the, the, the red meat, uh, the the uh, butter, the the cheese, the one food that Americans eat most of, most saturated fat in, is cheese. Mm-hmm. And that was that used to be my favorite food. And I had just done a carotid endarterectomy, and I went to my office that afternoon and read an article that said that was the one food we ate the most of. Cheese was my favorite. All my patients at Christmas, they brought me, hundreds of different kinds of cheeses and i I was still i remember i was still standing i said if i eat another bite of cheese my iq has got to be below 49 (laughs) so i just decided hey i'm not going to do that anymore i'm not going to go with these blockages in my arteries and the same way with that alzheimer's now 2.2 times uh is likely to get it so in fried foods just don't eat fried. You, you eat grilled. You eat, uh, and you substitute uh, fish, salmon for your steak. So it's some some eating habits that we need to change. But once they become habits, it's easy to do.
1: And we're going to talk more about diet and more about lifestyle when we come back. But before we do that, uh, just some good news. I know some of you in Indian country, some of my guests, when they start speaking about a vegetarian diet, you're saying, "Oh no, we could never do that." Well. Dr. Furman is saying you don't have to become a vegetarian to make these changes. In fact, he uh, already just mentioned grilling things, uh, eating fish. He's not saying you've got to make a break with your wild game to get these benefits. So we've got a lot of good news coming up, some practical pointers, things that you can do. You don't want to miss the rest of today's show. We will be back with more. If you can't stay with us for the rest of the show. Please stop by Dr. Furman's website. It's Richard Furman, F-U-R-M-A-N.com. But we've got a lot more good stuff coming. Don't go away. I'm Dr. DeRose.
0: American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call one 800 775 hope That's one 800 775 4673
3: So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke, sudden weakness on one side, or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke.
0: You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 1-800-775-4673.
1: Here again is Dr. DeRose. We are back with the second half of today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. My guest from the top of the hour has been Dr. Furman. Dr. Furman has been sharing with us from his book, Defeating Dementia, Richard is a vascular surgeon by training. He has vast experience in the operating room, but his passion is to keep you out of the operating room. And, in fact, there is no surgery that can uh, take out those beta amyloid plaques, not that I know of. Do you know of anything, Dick, that can uh, surgically address Alzheimer's?
2: No, it would be great if we could. I know the, the drug companies have spent years trying to come up with some drug that would take that beta amyloid out. But the the problem, David, is we don't know whether the beta amyloid is the cause of the Alzheimer's or the result of something else Mm. that's causing the beta amyloid to to accumulate. So the, the health of our arteries is our only hope at this time.
1: So you've made a strong case for us getting rid of the saturated fats, getting rid of the rich meats, the fatty meats, the fried foods, the cheeses. And you're not just telling us something that uh, you like to tell your patients. You're talking about your own personal experience. And I, I'll tell you, uh, Dick, I am the same way. I was raised eating, uh, well my share of the saturated fat, the cheeses, the meats. And uh, some years ago, I said, you know, I've got to make that same step. Uh, there's just too much evidence that if we want to be around here long and, and functioning well, we've got to get serious about our diet.
2: Well, that's exactly right. And watching someone go through Alzheimer's and then, and then seeing what causes that beta amyloid protein to, to accumulate in the in the brain, in the hippocampus, makes you want to look at food differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, food is an addiction. The only way you're going to beat an addiction is by abstaining. And it takes about two months of, of saying, okay, just like I did with that cheese, I'm not Ever going to eat another bite of cheese? Once I read the article that cheese was the one food that we got most of our saturated fat out of. I just it was my favorite food, but I just said I'm not going to. I'm not going to eat it. And uh, it takes that kind of commitment. It's going to take the same way with the exercise and weight loss that you're going to commit to do it. Once you change your, it'll take you about two two months to get uh, to get out of those addictions, to change your habits, and uh, You'll be a better you. Uh, I will I will guarantee you on that
1: one. Now, now, Dick, I'm going to ask you a personal question. This was not rehearsed. We haven't talked about it. So if, uh, if you don't want to answer it, uh, we'll respect that. But you've been telling us about this major lifestyle change you made. Your favorite food was cheese. You left it off. I mean, I'm just going to ask you point blank. Is your life just a little bit miserable now? Do you feel like you're deprived?
2: Hey, that is a great question, and uh, I, I, I have I have that asked many times. But I can, I can tell you truthfully, David, after I decided, after I made that commitment, I, I did not eat cheese. And I think I told you that cheese was what all my patients brought me for Christmas. Since mm-hmm. uh, the, the following Christmas after I quit eating cheese, I took all I took a tableful of it into our office. Into the into the kitchen, I laid it on the table, and I t- brought all the ladies in. I said, "You should not eat any of it, but you can have it." And in ten minutes, it was all was <laughs> all gone. But now, I I look at cheese almost like poison. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of that desire—once you beat the desire for that, then you've got to beat people would say, "Okay, I'm going to start eating low-fat cheese." And I tell you, you can't you can't beat an addiction with moderation. You eat the low fat cheese, you still want you still have that desire for the taste. So you've just got to abstain from it. And that's what I did. And now it's not like, oh I can't eat that cheese. Oh I wish I could eat that cheese. No, I wanna run from it. I mean, you put a pistol to my head, I might take a bite. (laughs) But I don't I don't want it. I know uh, what it does to my arteries and what it does with Alzheimer's, and that's why I'm, I'm so excited about this book to give the people the medical information out of the medical literature about what we can be doing. And I tell you, you'll run from you'll run from some foods that you just can't you, you just adore now. it will get where you don't like them. No, I, I don't. I don't. I don't like the cheese. I don't. I don't eat the desserts. And uh, with the group, I'll give me some decaf coffee and sit there and have fun talk and all that as they eat up all the the chocolate cake and, and everything else, but it, it's not affecting me. I'm doing what I have committed to do, and I have no desire whatsoever for a body to cheese. I, I have to run from it.
1: I just love this message. I, I, I just love this because so many people, in my experience as a physician, they make the mistake of saying, I'm going to cut down or I'm going to eat less, and what they're doing the whole time is they're telling themselves, well, I really like this. This is really delicious, but I can't have it. And they just end up feeling more and more deprived, whereas you're saying, I mean, here's a way to be free of this stuff, but you've got to take that step and make a clean break with it.
2: It's an addiction, and if you don't do it that way, you're going to continue to desire it, and sooner or later you're going to be back eating the way you used to. And that's why this... This uh, lifestyle of eating that we we'll are go over in the book is you've got to lose the weight. If you're overweight, you've got to lose the weight. Developing these lifestyle eating habits of eating the fruits, eating the vegetables, eating the beans, eating uh, the, the salmon, uh, that using olive oil, not doing any frying. You've got to develop those habits. So when you get down to your ideal weight, say only 2 to 20% of people who lose weight can keep it off. And only 12% of Americans are at their ideal weight because they keep going back. But if you will develop that eating lifestyle as you lose it, when you get to that point, you don't have to change anything. You're, you're there. You've got your eating habits going. You're not ever. Once I did that when I was 42 years old, lost 18 pounds. I haven't regained one pound of that because I changed my my desires and the way I eat, the eating habits. Now it just happens what what you eat, and, and you do the same.
1: So we are talking about some powerful messages when it comes to diet, and we've featured many of these messages on the show over the years, those of you that are regular listeners, and a lot of you are thinking back on discussions we've had about traditional Native American foods, some of those foods that are esteemed across the continent, whether you're talking about the Three Sisters, the corn, the beans, the squash, whether you go across the ocean, you talk about a Mediterranean diet, we're talking about these plant-rich diets that get away from these heavy animal foods, the cheeses, the red meats. And I know some of you will say, well, Dr. DeRose, I'm a total vegetarian. And I say that's wonderful. Many of you know that's uh, the diet I follow. Dr. Furman says, hey, you know, you can include some of these other things and still move in the right direction. And this is what we want to leave you with on the diet realm. Get away from those foods that are killing you. And I so appreciate you putting the spotlight on the cheese as being one of the big culprits in the uh, dementia department. Well, Dr. Furman, we have got to talk about weight loss because we've touched on that a number of times. And uh, sometimes as I go throughout Indian country and as I travel around the world, I was just speaking in, um, in the Middle East a week or two ago in Eastern Europe, and it seems like uh, there is no population that has got the market cornered on being trim all the time. I saw overweight people everywhere in the world. It's not a native problem. It's a worldwide problem. What can we do?
2: Well, there's a lot that can be done, and we better do it. Uh, two-thirds of Americans are overweight uh, or obese, and it's it's shown to be highly significant in developing uh, Alzheimer's. Now, listen to these numbers. And these come from the medical literature. They, these are not my ideas or whatever, but you, you read report after report, being overweight doubles your odds of becoming, of becoming, uh, of, of becoming uh, having Alzheimer's. It triples if you're obese. Now, what they do, they go back to middle age to get the, to mid-age to get these numbers mm-hmm. They're saying, okay, if you're, if you're overweight in, in uh, mid-age, 40, 50 range, and you continue like that, you, you're doubling your chances to get Alzheimer's. Uh, being obese, you, you you triple your chance. But now, the reason for this is because if you if you increase in weight, you're you are lowering your good hero HDL cholesterol, your good cholesterol. You're lowering that, and you're raising your your lethal LDL cholesterol. And then that's that's one thing that's really going to affect the arteries and affect the arteries even within your brain. But the other thing is that your heart's having to pump extra blood mm. to all this extra weight. So we need to go through, go, go to the book. There's eight secrets to losing weight. You uh, we need to go over every one of those. We won't go over them all today, but you've gotta you got to cut out your snacks. you got to cut out the desserts. Uh, you've got to watch what you're eating. You have to realize which foods give you the most sense of being full with the fewest, calories. And that's your fruits and vegetables, your salads, all of that. You need to realize not the cal- not how many calories they have, but which foods to eat. That's why I like the idea of a vegetarian diet. Uh, you're getting full with the very fewest calories. So weight is very significant. And in the book, if we have time, we mentioned the 10-minute factor. To me, that is a key in, in losing weight and able to control snacks. But you can do that for uh, for ten minutes and uh, get you some non-chlorine liquid and and uh, lose the weight. But anyway, it's very significant in Alzheimer's. You've got to lose the weight if you're going to defeat it.
1: Well, you have really laid the foundation for us so well, and I'll tell you, we I can't let you get away without telling us about this ten-minute factor. W- what's this going on?
2: Well, uh, I had a I had a friend in Alaska. He had been an alcoholic. Uh, he had been on on drugs and smoked, and uh, he was even put in in prison. And in prison, he couldn't get all this stuff. And he he just decided, you know, I can control my my desires for I mean, my for about ten minutes, I can control these addictions. But mm. I've got to do something else. So this now this works. If next time you want a snack, you just say okay. I'm not going to give up snacks completely. It's just for the next 10 minutes, they're addictions. For the next 10 minutes, I'm going to control this addiction, but I'm going to get some non-caloric liquid, whether it's uh, tea, lemonade, water, whatever, that has no calories in it. You drink a big glass of that, put it in your stomach, and then you start doing something else. You get on the phone or you go uh, pull up your emails, you walk next to the office next door or down the street, whatever, but you do something else to get your mind off of that snack that you want. Mm-hmm. Now it may come back uh, in an hour or two uh, that you want it again. You do that 10-minute factor again, and I can assure you it works. I still use it today, even uh, even myself, if I if I start to want something that I shouldn't have. But I had I had a, I had a gentleman, a patient that I had operated on his as Thought he had lung. We thought he had lung uh, cancer. Turned out to be benign, but I told me he was a two-pack-a-day smoker. and said, if you continue smoking, you're going to get cancer. And I told him about the 10-minute factor. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think he was listening to me, but sometime later I was seeing patients uh, going from one room to the other. The nurse said, there's a gentleman out here that wants to see you. He doesn't have an appointment. He said, just one minute in the hallway. So I said, okay, bring him back. This fellow comes down in his work clothes, his boots, his cap, sticks his hand out, smiling, and shakes my hand. He says, Doc, it's been a year today. I said, what do you mean you're a waste? I haven't smoked in a year.
1: Tremendous, he tremendous. I
2: on my, my truck uh, dashboard, and I did that 10-minute factor. I said, after two months, I threw him out the window, and he said, I had not smoked in a year. So I just tell you, that's, that's a, a, a key that works.
1: Wonderful. We have got to step away. Unfortunately, it's not for 10 minutes. We're going to be back real shortly with our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. Dr. Furman's not going away. Some other great information that you need to defeat dementia. Stay by. We'll be right back.
0: Today's broadcast has been prerecorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1 800 775 4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef.
4: At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life.
2: I can go back to college,
4: I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of The American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz.
3: It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand, and someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Dr.
0: David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE.
1: 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back with Dr. David DeRose. It is our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. Dr. Richard Furman, the author of Defeating Dementia, has been my guest. Richard, we've been speaking about so many practical things that can, according to the medical research, actually prevent dementia. This is so encouraging um, I will tell you. Some people, as they're listening, they may say, "Well, I don't know if I want to give up my cheese or leave off my red meat." But when you look at the consequences, it is so so important. What about exercise? Where does that fit into the equation?
2: Well, I think I think exercise is. Uh, if you had to, if you had to pinpoint one factor that we needed to emphasize today, it would be exercise. Because the Alzheimer's Associates, Association states that uh, being physically inactive contributes to the largest proportion of Alzheimer's disease in, in the United States. Wow. And just think about that. If there were one factor, one group of people you don't want to be associated with, it, it's, that, uh, it's the group that doesn't exercise at all. Mm. So it, it's very, very important. And if we go to the... Go to the medical literature. Uh, you know, we'd already shown that it, it helps your the, the good cholesterol, and also uh, helps the strength of of your heart. Because there's no medicine that can can increase that heart, the thickness of that heart muscle, than uh, than exercise. Uh, no, you can't prescribe a medicine that will will, will do that. And there's a study that showed uh, uh, that the ones who exercise the most versus the ones who exercise the least, that the, high, the the least exercise group doubled their odds of developing Alzheimer's, mm. and the, another study even shocked me, they started they was talking about walking, mm-hmm. how good walking was, and uh, I, I'd always thought when I see older people walking around the track that, hey, they're not really exercising, they're just, just walking, uh, but But walking is very, very significant with with Alzheimer's. And they pointed out that someone uh, who walks less than a quarter of a mile a day, that's five to six days a week, uh, versus the ones who walk two miles a day, that they had 60% more likelihood of having Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. So walking is is big, and I, I, I couldn't figure out, David, why in the world? I mean, that, to me, that was not that much exercise, but it is. But what it does more than just the exercise, it enhances your commitment to take care, to do, to eat right. It enhances your commitment to uh, to lose weight. It, uh, it it changes your mind. It helps you uh, with everything else that you're fighting Alzheimer's with. So, I would just encourage anybody listening today that uh, they say, okay. Starting today, I'm going I'm to start walking uh, 30 minutes, uh, five days a week. And sooner or later, they'll be walking faster, and they may even end up trotting or jogging or whatever. I don't know. But but these studies show that even walking uh, can decrease your odds by 60% of developing Alzheimer's. So to me, that's, that's a no-brainer there, that that will get you started on the right road.
1: No, I mean, this is so great. And I, I guess the big question has to do with the amount. I mean, at one point you mentioned 30 minutes, you mentioned two miles. Is there some magic goal that people should be shooting for? I know some people, if they're not doing anything, I mean, five minutes uh, may be a big commitment for their first week. But is there a reasonable goal?
2: I think that 30-minute goal, uh, a lot of these studies zero in on 30 minutes a day, five to six days a week. Mm-hmm. And they, those those numbers are remarkable, and uh, I have read if you you know if you're running nine or ten minute miles, that after uh, after the first after the first three miles or after the first half hour, you're not really adding that much to the strength of your heart and all that. But I would just go by what these studies uh, the numbers are showing: thirty minutes a day, uh, and, and anybody can walk. I mean, you don't you don't have to get doctor's permission to, to go walk, but that's that's the idea. Is just that commitment that you're doing something, and it really really reinforces your mind on, hey, I'm, I've got a goal now. I'm, I'm working on something. Uh, you're gonna you exercise. You're gonna eat differently. Uh, you exercise. You're gonna you're gonna look at weight loss differently. Uh, it'll change it changes everything. So I think out of all the lifestyles, the number one is to commit uh, to exercise. Uh, simply because the, the, what the Alzheimer's Association stated that uh, being inactive contributed to the largest proportion of Alzheimer's in the in the U.S. Mm. So that's the group you don't want to be in.
1: When we wrote our book Thirty Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control, we were looking at, at high blood pressure, its connection with dementia and stroke, and I'm just uh, struck by how similar, you know, the, the research is. Whether you're honing in on high blood pressure. Whether you're speaking about avoiding dementia, we're really you know, talking different aspects of the same lifestyle message. But here's where I want to go with that. As we were looking at all the literature, we said there's an element that we need to include in our book that we knew some people would really appreciate they really needed it, and other people would have a problem with it, and it was the topic of spirituality. I know in your book, toward the end of it, you touch on this as well, Tell us your perspective as a as a physician and as someone who's interested in defeating dementia. Is the spiritual element something that we need to include in this equation?
2: Well, I think I think it is. Uh, it, it all goes together. And I can't. I'm not a preacher, <laughs> a retired surgeon, but I can tell you about my life uh, that it's all intertwined. Mm-hmm. And as I get older, I realize. Uh, how much more important my spiritual health is than uh than my physical health. Wow. And so that's I would just uh, i, I would just leave it at that that I, that the spirituality of your life is, is significant and uh and important and it gives me a peace that I can't uh, I can't find uh, anywhere else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's and that's why I put at the at the back of my book the uh, uh the publisher wanted me to say, "Well, this is the way Adam and Eve ate, and this is the way the Garden of Eden was, and you ought to eat this way and that way." I said, "No. What I want to do is I want I want to put uh, medically. I want to build a platform medically that this is what the medical literature says, and then I share with them at the end about uh, uh, about uh, Mr. Dale, which was my father-in-law uh-huh. and uh, my wife, his daughter." Wanted to know where, where, where was he going to spend eternity? He hadn't, he hadn't talked to her about it. He, 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 she knew he went to church and all of that, and she just, just wasn't wanted to be sure. So, I just put that at the end of the book, and I, I think that's uh, an important overall aspect of life that your, your uh, spiritual health is even more important than your, your physical health, even including your Alzheimer's.
1: You know, I appreciate that emphasis because I think so many times when people get discouraged about these lifestyle messages, it uh, it may be because they're trying to find meaning in their life through food or through maybe forms of recreation that are not really health-enhancing. And if a person can feel secure with where they're at spiritually, where they're at with their family, uh, it kind of gives them maybe that insight to say, look, uh, I've been given a gift. I have this measure of health. I have uh, this mental clarity right now what am i going to do to take care of it to show my appreciation for really this uh, gift that i've been given so uh, thank you so much for that insight well dick our time is uh, is rapidly slipping away and i know it's very possible that many who are with us right now were not with us at the beginning of the hour you've got some great resources on the internet uh tell people again about your website and what they'll find there
2: yes, RichardFurman.com. You'll find uh, other books that I've written, and uh, also blogs about defeating dementia. And uh, you can order order the book uh, off of that, or you can order uh, Barnes and Noble, uh, Amazon.com. But uh, the website will just give you more insight than the time that we've had to go over. So I encourage you to to pull it up, RichardFurman.com, and uh, read a little more, see a little more about uh, what we can do to make our lives healthier.
1: Tremendous. And if those of you are uh, trying to jot down some notes, hopefully you're not driving, but uh, Furman is spelled F-U-R-M-A-N. So it's RichardFurman.com. And uh, you can tap into his blog. So basically people don't have to buy anything. They can get insights from you uh, just free for the asking, if you will, as they go to that website, right?
2: That's right. There will be... I have, I have more information than we've even covered today uh, right there for you to, to have free.
1: No, and that's great. And uh, I would recommend the book, Defeating Dementia. I enjoyed uh, going through it. A lot of great information, good uh, scientific references in the book, but uh, very practical, easy to read, walking you through that story of uh, Mrs. Dell and then uh, adding lots of scientific uh, information, practical strategies, things that you can do. Well, Dick, our time has slipped away. Thank you so very much for joining us today.
2: Well, I appreciate you having me on, and uh, uh, very good getting to know you. Thank you.
1: Well, for those of you that have joined us today, hopefully some of these messages have connected with you and that your life won't be the same. We're here, really, to make a difference in your lives. For all of us at American Indian Living, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health.